everyone, and welcome to Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We are so glad to have you with us this afternoon for this very special episode of Empowering Homeschool Conversations. And it's not just special because we are at a special date and time. My guest today is an extremely special person who wants to share her heart with you today. And that um, just touches my heart um, for that reason. But we're going to be talking about um, launching developmentally developmentally delayed teens and my special guest is Cindy LaJoy. Welcome Cindy. Hi, thanks for having me Peggy. Yeah, I am so excited to have you with us and I am excited to have our viewers with us as well. If you are joining and um, you know somebody who has a developmentally delayed teen and you're going, they need some encouragement, um, they need to know what to do, how do we launch these children? Um, we may not have all the answers, but we are going to encourage you on this path as, um, as we walk alongside you with situations in our own families um, that that will hopefully shed light into your situation as well. And so, um, so anyways, um, we, I also want to let you know that this episode has been made possible by viewers like you. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Sped Homeschool, our nonprofit, um, and how you can donate and become a donor partner, you can visit our website at spedhomeschool.com slash donate. So, um, so yeah, as we're getting started, Cindy, um, I know we're going to share a lot of your story throughout this time, but kind of give us a backstory a little bit on your family and then about where your kids are right now. And then um, I'm sure in the process of our talking, we'll kind of fill in the middle. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so as some people may have even already heard me speak in various places, we have five young adults just graduated our last one in May. Hooray, we made it. Um, and um, our oldest for our year and four months apart, we have a span of 20, from 23 years old to 18. Mm. Um, uh, we are an international adoptive family. Our, we have four children that are from orphanages in Kazakhstan mm -hmm. and one from an orphanage in Kyrgyzstan. Um, we... We have a mix of everything. We have adopted two as infants. They both came home as 11 months old at different times. Mm -hmm. um, three came home as much older children. Um, yeah. We had, um, our son was eight and a half. He's the one who's from Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. Okay. And our daughters, who are biological siblings, came home at um, 10 and almost 12 years old. Mm. Um, of course, all three of those had no English either, so I became an ESL teacher as well. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we started homeschooling the year that our daughters came home, which was a dozen years ago. Um, we actually started homeschooling, even though this is a sped broadcast, for the opposite reason. We had a son who was gifted and wasn't fitting in class very well mm -hmm. anymore. Um, obvious, the boredom was kicking in. And um, elected to give homeschooling a try in the year that we knew we were going to be gone traveling to bring our daughters home. Mm -hmm. um, that turned out to be a blessing. We were we left thinking two weeks were gone two months because of the process oh. and challenges. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we had our boys with us. Um, it gave me a taste of homeschooling mm -hmm. and terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Usually does. It also, yeah. um, it, also um, it brought to light severe learning challenges that my son was having that the school was interpreting solely as English language learning and, oh, you know, lack of yes, development in his background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I understood that, but it was really obvious that he had serious memory problems. Um, and, and the more time we spent trying to educate, the more we realized that he just wasn't connecting the dots. Hmm. So um, after a lot of prayer, 
And then meeting our daughters and learning how delayed they actually were, which was quite delayed by probably five years or more. Um, yeah, well, children in an orphanage, a lot of people right. don't understand. They don't have home backgrounds for the most part. Right. We taught exactly. everything from mm-hmm. how to love, love, what relatives are, what cousins are and aunts and uncles are, um, where the meat goes. It doesn't go in the pantry. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that were really in preschool level education. And we, after being around them for a little bit while we were traveling, I realized at, with a sinking heart, oh my gosh, I can't put this in middle school. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. That's right. a recipe for disaster. So yeah. Um, after a couple of really sleepless nights and walking the floor and pacing and kind of really angry with God over this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like I was being thrown into the fire and I knew what I needed to do and I didn't want to do it. I was scared and I, you know, I don't have any teaching credentials. I have a high school diploma. That's it. I don't even have the illusion of having a great education, but I realized no matter what, my passion was going to be far stronger than any educators was going to be for my kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just had a gut feeling. And so we started our homeschool journey with a whole lot of drama and a lot of fear. Uh And um, probably ended it with a lot of drama and fear too. (laughs) It's kind of like throughout the whole process. (laughs) Now it's the fear of the bigger adult stuff. Um, It's different. Uh It's different stuff Mm -hmm. to be afraid of. So, uh, you know, we made progress, right? Um, And along the way, I can tell you it was really the single best thing we ever did. I don't have any doubts that our family would be a complete disaster without homeschooling and the development of connection and relationship that came from that. So um, here we are at the end, and I'm teaching other kids that are SPED learners um, separately through North Homeschool Academy because I learned a lot Mm -hmm. and um, trying to help other families maybe not feel as scared as we were, or if not, not feel as alone in the fear. Because I don't know that you can shape your fear, and maybe it makes you a better educator. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I, that's that's so true. That's something that God has been teaching me this week. I've been reading through Genesis 32 and, you know, mm-hmm. Jacob, you know, going back to his brother and doing it in fear and just trusting that God had a plan and you yeah. just have to move forward. And so many parents are at that place right now. They're yes. looking at the school year. A lot of parents have been contacting us here at Sped Homeschool saying, okay, here's what the school is going to do. What do I do? I can't do this. I have to homeschool because of our yeah. whatever immune situation whatever it is. Sure. But homeschooling is what I have to do. And so your story is so encouraging that, you. you know, we can just move forward into that fear sure and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it won't feel like it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it won't. Uh-huh. Um, that, that I, I want to share with your um, listeners that yes. another woman who is a mom of uh, a learner who is graduated, yes, a graduate with also our children have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. This is Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities. Yes. Um, it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And we we just released it in June because we realized there were a lot of families who, who were like us. And maybe at the beginning, maybe in the middle, and it's getting harder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing to think about homeschool and just getting your child educated when they're special needs, when they're 8, 9, 10. Yeah. About 15 reality sets in that we aren't probably going to make a ton more progress. We'll keep going and making progress, but this is sort of the end result or at least pretty close to what the model is going to be at 18, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what yeah. the heck do I do? What do we do to launch them? Exactly. And um, 
our book goes into all kinds of things about our personal stories. Also, a lot of tips about how to homeschool, um, particularly kids with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, because that's what we have the most experience in. Um, mm-hmm. I also have, amongst the mix, we have um, reactive attachment disorder, um, slow processing speed, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, uh, sensory integration disorder, cleft lip and palate with huge speech needs because his jaw has been entirely rebuilt. You know, I sort of can't mm-hmm. name all yeah. that we've dealt yeah. with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so it some of that is all sort of spoken to, but it's been a wild ride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a really, oh, a really difficult one. Yeah. It's an incredible book. I, I thank well, you thank for giving me the ability to read it ahead of time before it was published. You appreciate it. And, um, and having 10 siblings who are adopted, you, what you and Natalie spoke about in this book rings so, so true um, yeah. that it's a lot of things that we don't hear on a regular basis within the homeschooling community, even for special needs. And so I just thank you for taking the time to write that book. And um, oh, I just want to encourage you. our listeners to, to check it out on Amazon. It's called Blazing School Trails. Yeah, and it's a short read. It's about, you know, 120 pages or so. It's a short yeah, read. I think I read can get through an hour. Yeah, yeah, you can through it. We intended it because we didn't have time to read some big tome. So <laughs> we figured exactly. it out either. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's... Um, we really have come to an understanding that launching looks really different for families like ours. Mm. Um, and some of what we included in the book was really more about the disability piece and a little less about the adoption piece, which is mm. enormous. You know, you have to focus the book on something. Um, the adoption issues are real yeah. and they resurface with every new developmental level and lots of new experiences that pop up. Um, mm-hmm. We are at 22 and 23 for our kids and we are revisiting adoption and abandonment issues right now as I speak and back into therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that you're done, yeah, you're, you're not done. You'd love to be, you're not going to be done. And that's okay. I have, yeah, I have adopted siblings in their 30s. And yes, yeah, still dealings are still yeah. in that process. And as a whole family, we have to come around because my parents are getting older and it's it's difficult. It is, it is. And, you know, it's a fairy tale story when you see a little child with a new family and the cute photos. Yeah. And and I will say that ours has been a fairy tale in a lot of ways. It really has. Mm-hmm. Um, but a fairy tale that had a whole lot of pain. Yeah. And a whole lot of anger. Um, a whole lot of healing that's that's ongoing as you're relaying. Yeah. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, they the statistics with fetal alcohol syndrome and specifically because the majority of my adopted siblings do have FASD. Oh, do they? And, um, you know, they say when they get to a certain age, those neural nets finally connect and they, they realize that they need help. And my brother is finally at that point, but he has now this, he had a laundry list of felonies that he has to deal with. Um, yes. And he's been working slowly with the lawyer to get those turned around and his life's turned around, you know, but it's a constant process and you just have to love them through it. You do. And you have to recognize um, this, this, this isn't intentional. The behaviors, the issues, the yes. challenges are from a brain. And we use the term in our home scrambles information mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And, and it's hard for the person who doesn't have an FAST to know it because mm-hmm. the person expresses comprehension, understands it, appears to. Yeah. And then later you learn that's not what they understood it to be at all, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so sometimes it's a detective process a little bit to figure out 
how did their brain interpret what was just said? Right. Or what <laughs> and the memory issues. Yeah. So my, my dad was, he told me this last time when we came to visit, one of my sisters says to, to my parents all the time, I love you. And he, he said to me, you know, Peggy, when she says that, it doesn't mean I love you. It means, do you love me? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's a good way to look at that. And yeah, to, it to is. interpret that as a parent. Well, and when, when a child is struggling that much, um, and sometimes, and, and let's talk about this too for a moment, mm-hmm. often they're struggling for years and years and years. And that, what happens is blame gets piled upon blame, gets piled upon blame, self-blame and outside blame from people who don't understand and maybe we parent doesn't have the information. Right. Um, I have had a lot of guilt over things with my son when he was young that we couldn't understand whether this was orphanage behavior or was this carelessness, I don't care behavior, yeah. you know, things that we said, you know, yeah. how could you not remember that mm-hmm. until we figured out no, he really can't remember that. That's for real. That's not, that's not not paying attention. Right. Um, you know, I've beat myself up a few times over that one. And he and I have had multiple conversations and mm-hmm. he has offered grace in all kinds of ways, uh, as have my daughters, for things that I've blown for lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Even if you have the diagnosis, sometimes you don't know how it's manifesting in a particular individual. And it looks different mm-hmm. as you probably have experienced in oh everybody exactly. with red walking through, but each one responds differently. Mm-hmm. We have everything in our family from one child who literally cannot feel physical pain the way everybody else does, has was using floor stripper and and I'm talking at probably I think she was 17, 18. This was four or five years ago. We're not talking a child. Right. Um using floor stripper in our store and it ate through her shoes and ate through her 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 knees she was kneeling and didn't realize that she had literally burned the skin off her skin she had broken arm didn't know she had broken it didn't feel pain to the degree that everybody else does we've oh, you know we've yeah. had all kinds of things that are sort of head scratchers in terms right. of i'm not getting that you're not getting this and uh-huh. you're really not are you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know and, and with um, FASD, there's a lot of people who, in fact, the majority of people don't know anything about it. It is a truly invisible disability, and it is is. highly debilitating for the person who has it, highly frustrating for the families who have family members with it. Mm -hmm. And the world looks at them and shakes their head and goes, there's nothing wrong with that person. What's what's your problem? You're limiting them, right? Right. I'm sure your parents experience And then it's like that child is, yeah, there's something wrong with them. And yeah. Yeah. It takes a while to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet to outsiders who don't spend a whole lot of time with them, and you're trying to describe things, you, you, you know, you as the parent turn out to be the bad guy, and you're underestimating your child, and you don't know them well enough, and you're holding them back, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the laundry list, and it's hard, and it's painful as a parent in ways that our children will never understand, or anybody really, because we know what yeah. we know, mm-hmm. we know what we deal with every day behind closed doors in the house, and. The, you know, there's a commonality between that reactive attachment disorder as well. Mm-hmm. Appears one way on the outside and inside the house, the struggle is very, very real. And um, I would even say for both of those diagnoses, it can be life-threatening if it's not handled appropriately. The, you know, the average lifespan data, which is a little old at this point mm-hmm. for people with F- FASD is, you know, the average death is 34 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not because of the disability. It's because of the, poor choice. the lack of logic that leads yeah. to all mm-hmm. kinds of behavioral challenges exactly. that then look like then you will label him a bad person. 
right. instead of brain damaged person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Well, they're either in prison or dead. I think is the, yeah, the is. consensus that you know if they make it through into that phase where my brother's now at, where he's at least not in prison and not dead, but he has a lot to deal with. Yes. Um, still and but yeah last year my one brother tried to kill my mom and they had the police had to remove him from the house and it it just was so real and thank you for sharing that because that's the kind of reality that a lot of people are living with that no one actually really shares and it occasionally gets mentioned mentioned on an online group because you don't have to say it face to face and it's it makes a parent feel like a failure Mm -hmm. um the child certainly feels like a failure all day, every day. Right. We have been, I'm so thankful mm-hmm. and blessed 10 times over. And I don't know how we've avoided it, mm-hmm. but we have no issue with jail yet. No issue with pregnancy, mm-hmm. drugs, or alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we've avoided it because I don't think we're spectacular parents. I think we have been fortunate and probably uh, as we've been labeled overprotective over and over and over again, people don't understand the reality of the future if we aren't overprotective. And I know they don't look like they need it. Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. They do. I I mean, somebody has experienced with you that's even further down the road with your siblings. Mm -hmm. Right. The reality is you sort of can't be too overprotective, can you? No, you can't. And yet then 18 comes along. Yeah. And you can't control it anymore. That gets scarier, doesn't it? It, I'm sure your parents did. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have another sibling who, you know, I heard my mom when I was at their house last month, you know, talking on there, I love you. You know, you need to make these changes. You can't come home right now. Yeah. Um, Those boundaries of, you know, if they have the capability to be on their own, it's scary. You don't know what's going to happen and where the next day is going to lead. Yeah. Because when you say capability, they have the capability to walk out the door and start a few things in life. Yeah hanging on to what they maybe can build mm-hmm. is a whole nother ballgame. Right. And, you know, and that's why launching, and Natalie and I talked about this a lot as we were discussing writing the book, mm-hmm. launching for a lot of families necessarily isn't about a child leaving the nest. Yeah. And for some of us, true. some of our kids will never leave. Um, in our case, of our three, that we have one that's officially diagnosed, the other two, they were removed for alcohol use, Mm. when you've seen FAS, you know, FAS, spending $5,000 to diagnose again, right? You know, Uh um, it's very obvious. And, um, you know, we have one that's never going to be able to live independently. He just can't. Um, Interestingly, he's also the one who probably has the highest IQ and sort of academic capacity. And yet the difference between academic and function are miles apart, miles apart. Are can um, you talk a little bit about that? Because oh, I, I don't think um, enough people address that. Well, and you know, my son Kenny, um, he's actually writing a book right now himself about mm. being a person with FAS who can articulate really well, better than most, because language is a gift for him, which is unusual. Mm. Um, what it's like to live with that brain, and how do you offer grace to your parents and and help develop that relationship and and understand your need for support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be maybe hopefully pretty helpful for people, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny, I speak about the most because he struggles the most with it. He is the most impacted in our family with it. Um, Kenny has, can recite the entire history of the Roman Empire. He could tell you chapter and verse, verses in the Bible and find it better than any pastor I've ever met. His heart mm-hmm. longs to be a pastor. He couldn't organize his way out of a paper bag. 
<laughs> and I literally mean out of a people. Oh, I understand that. I we tried to do, mm-hmm. we tried to do, I live in a, in a, it's a growing town, but it used to be a really small town with two mm-hmm. main tracks, right? Two main streets. Mm-hmm. We tried the bus system for him at 17. He is now 22, almost 23. And we got off the bus and he was sobbing. And I was like, mm-hmm. what's wrong? What's wrong? We had somebody come along to help train him to ride the bus. Mm-hmm. And he said, I can't do it. And I want to do it so bad for you, mom, so you don't have to be my taxi. I want that more than anything. And I can't even figure out where I'm at in town. And then he started sobbing worse. He says, and then even if they take me to Walmart, I can't find my way around Walmart. Hmm. And that's true. It's very true for him. Um, we have noticed a little bit. Now he can find certain areas in Walmart. You know, we're uh-huh. making progress. <laughs> and yet you sit down and have a, a conversation with this young man about politics or economics, and he's going to completely blow you away. And most people really don't get that he can't make a roast beef sandwich on his own. Hmm. He can't follow. <laughs> we tried to make hamburger helper last night, and he couldn't make it by himself. And that's like, what, three steps? You know, the, the, the inability to hold that information and retain it and follow things step by step is brainwashed exactly. walk into the middle of the directions, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. yet he's one of the brighter people you will actually meet. Um, mm-hmm. When we got him diagnosed, they said he was probably one of the most unfortunate, saddest cases they had seen because underneath it was clearly a really, really exceptional brain. And it was inc- very, very, you know, damaged by, by alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, he is really classic. It's, it's truly painful to watch kids who who and our daughters are as well mm-hmm. who could do so much mm-hmm. if something hadn't happened to them yeah. and then know how they're getting blamed over and over again for the things that they can't do that are right. totally out of their control yeah. mm-hmm. nothing they can change with that mm-hmm. um, my son has sat when we first started homeschooling he was in public school for about three years mm-hmm. in the first two years he would sit at the table and weekly we would have him literally with his fist pounding his head I'm so stupid. I can't do this. And I don't know why I'm so dumb. Why does everybody else find this easy? And I can't. Mm. Um, He was at 12 years old, not reading at a first grade level. Mm. Um, Hope for people. Uh, That young man is writing a book that is phenomenally well written Mm. um, and reads at a college level. Yeah. But he can't make that roast beef sandwich or brownies. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But my, my my oldest did the same thing at age twelve, tested as a non-reader, and next, but the next year for him, um, he's on the spectrum. Um, he was reading at a college level, so you know, just yeah, that was fast things that yes. uh, our kids do to us. <laughs> yeah, for us, it's really painful going through phonics three different times with the fourth time finally doing it. Yeah. And that was after school doing three years of it. It was the hardest thing mm. I've ever done, and yet um, I think honestly. One of the things that gave me courage to do it, even when I didn't want to do it, was mm. it was so obvious the public school wasn't going to be able to do anything. Yeah. Um, they had, I was going to say they haven't seen kids like my kid. Yes, they have. They didn't yeah. recognize what it was and they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, he had caring, caring, competent teachers, but we didn't know enough to give them information to know how to work with exactly. him very well. Mm-hmm. And he really needed one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just as I'm sure your kids have, you know, helped right. you understand. Yeah. The one-on-one changes the game and the mm-hmm. intense 24-7 constant correction. I mean, we were correcting exactly. language and speech that had been patterned for eight and a half years before the class was fixed. Oh, Muscle memory right. was... Yeah, all that the neuronets that were there. That Yeah, yeah. You know, exist. <laughs> 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 they were still correcting. Um, 
it, it, it's been such a difficult journey. And then, you know, and we were teaching English at the same time. Right. Yeah. And that was, and English is not a logical oh. language by any stretch. Yeah. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. And, yeah. And our phrase in the, in the family was English is stupid. It just is. Uh-huh. One of my adopted brothers says that my dad always says it just means he doesn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet when you look at the rules for spelling that apply here but don't there and some words that have three different meanings and are spelled the same, it is a confusing language. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I don't even get it all. So yeah, yeah most yeah, adults don't. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, yeah. So. Can you talk a little bit about mom guilt and how you have press through that and accepted grace. Oh, I might be the wrong person to talk to you about that one. I think many of us are. You know, yeah, I, mean, I think we're all in that spot. Yeah, and I mean, it's a constant process. And so you're probably the perfect person to speak yeah, to that. The mom guilt. The, oh, gosh, what don't you feel guilty about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You feel guilty because your child's not excelling. You feel guilty because you probably aren't a good enough teacher, even though the experts, because we did try public school, couldn't do any better than we did. Yeah. Um, I started to say it probably gave me the courage because it was so obvious that wasn't going to work. I had mm-hmm. zero to lose because exactly. it was, yeah. you know, it, it was a dropout in the making. He was already checking out in class because he mm-hmm. couldn't understand anything and he was moving into fifth grade. Um, mom guilt from having neurotypical kids and non-neurotypical kids at the same table and trying to meet the needs of everybody at the same time. And then in my case, my two who were non or who were neurotypical also tested gifted at the school district. So I had this gap that was, I, I don't even, I can't even describe the gap. My, right. my son, yeah. for, for example, and I use this because I think it's really indicative of what I was dealing with. I had my son coming home who was eight months older than the son that started us homeschooling who was mm-hmm. gifted. Um, and I had him who couldn't read at all, literally couldn't read. Hmm. And I had my other son who was eight months younger who was saying, when I homeschool, I'd like to learn about the Cold War and the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, yes. that, uh-huh. was the, that was the gap I was dealing with, with basically the same age child in front of me. Hmm. Um, it was, I can't even help but laugh at this point because it was really kind of crazy. <laughs> but the guilt of trying to meet the needs of, of my advanced learners and keep them engaged and give them something, some meaty stuff to really work with while also right. I can only cut myself in the pizza into several slices, right? But there's only so thin those slices can be and have anything to them, right? Yeah. Not enough time. That's a good way. Don't know what I'm doing. Who do I think I am that I can do this? Oh, um, yes. Am I meeting the emotional needs? Am I balancing the academic needs with the emotional needs? And really the relationship mm-hmm. always, always, always has to come first. And yet then... Uh, you know, in trying to push and nudge to get them as far as I possibly could, of course, mm-hmm. tears rose because we can't do it. And then you feel guilty because they're in tears. And then you feel guilty because, you know, one is graduating and can really only do third grade math. And that is the very best you can do. And yet your other one is doing, you know, advanced calculus and programming math. And you know, you can teach, but you couldn't get this one there. And, you know, mm-hmm. every child brings multiple pieces of guilt. It is, and then there's the whole overall collective mom guilt thing. And <laughs> then I have, yeah, and then there's just normal mom guilt, right? Exactly. <laughs> this is a real, every mom feels guilt because of what they didn't do. And then they all graduate and you look back and go, oh, I so screwed up in a million ways, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just got my kids an email with a, with a Facebook meme this week that was about, I tried. I hope you at least know I tried. Right. I think it, was, it, was a long, it was a long one. Maybe some of your, oh. your listeners saw it. But, and I said it to I said, you know, no matter what, 
I know I screwed up in a million ways, but you do know I tried, right? Right. Please tell me you know I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, how you deal with it? First of all, you recognize that um, you don't you don't know their brain any better than they do. Yeah, it's a discovery process for both of you. Really good. And yeah. you know, as you allow your kids the grace to have a learning curve, mm-hmm. you have to allow yourself to have one. Because all of this is new. And, and even for parents who, who come into this and maybe are, are certified educators for public oh, yeah. school mm-hmm. or even special ed educators, uh-huh. they don't know that child and their quirks and, and intricacies until they work uh-huh. with them for a while. Yeah. They may be a little more prepared. I don't know that that's true to work with them. I think sometimes that's true, but not always. Not um, usually, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, and as I am discovering now, really late in the game, man, I did not get rust, but, mm-hmm. and it is, mm-hmm. it's like now, I can, now it can catch up to me. Now I can allow all of it to catch up. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've had a hard few months. It's been a really mm-hmm. painful, uncomfortable um, unraveling mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't, because I could still do it. And I could keep going. Mm-hmm. And we have a ton of trauma in the background of our kids witnessing murder and suicide and all kinds of things and abandonment and, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, lots of things in the mix that are sort of personal stories, but those are pieces of it. This is not lightweight stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in dealing with that, I ended up being the therapist. We didn't really have therapy much for our kids all the way through because I could do it. Yeah. Um, I was guided by a therapist several times, one who worked with us intimately early, early with mm-hmm. my son with Rad when he was an infant. But um, I I didn't know that inside I was sort of falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I am now mm-hmm. because now it's safe too. You know how? And, and yep. we yep. have mm-hmm. one child for whom trauma is coming up big time for the first time for real, you know, snippets of stuff. But now it's like more steady um, mm-hmm. at 22 night terrors. Um, oh. <laughs> a little bit of hallucinating or thinking they're seeing bad people in crowds, all kinds of stuff are going, mm. going on. Um, families need to be prepared for this with, especially with kids who are developmentally delayed, mm-hmm. the, the therapeutic pieces of parenting mm-hmm. and the needs for therapy outside come up often much older because their processing is delayed as well. And it's not a surprise for us to be dealing with at this point in the game, but it's pretty intense. And it's the kind of stuff that normally happens around adolescence because we've got huge developmental delay in some areas and in other ways less. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it, you know, the, the pieces of me getting away and getting away from the crazy sort of Mm -hmm. what we call it here. um, (laughs) I didn't do it well and I'm paying the price and I'm really, really struggling with, um, sort of delayed responses to yes. all yep. that I mm-hmm. carry. And, you know, as a parent of multiple kids, you understand this too. Mm-hmm. One comes along and you're dealing with it and it's emotional. It sucks you in and you're dealing with it. And you may be mm-hmm. dealing with it really well, but you're holding it and you're carrying it. Yeah. And then they've purged and they feel great and they move on and child number two comes along and they've got theirs. And it's almost like right on the heels always, right? Oh, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. I... My husband and I, as I've been talking through some of the challenges that I'm having right now to just feel whole, looked back and said, have I even had three months without major trauma sort of stuff or major surgeries? We must have had eight or nine major surgeries with our kids as well. We had spinal fusion. We had jaw reconstruction. We had cleft lip and palate, other work. And, oh, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and because of traumatic care prior with pliers at an orphanage, 
it ramps up everything in terms of anxiety. So, you know, I mean, trying to keep people calm and rational. And you take all that in as a mom, right? You do. You hold it, you carry it, and you're carrying Mm -hmm. it long after that child's done with it. At least that piece of it in that moment, you're still carrying it. You know, they tend to, Mm -hmm. once mom's helped them, they're through it. And mom is then... The the cancer rates and the death rates for special needs parents are so high that um, because we do, we internalize it and we don't Mm -hmm. let go of it and we don't get the rest that we need um, and the the help that we need to process all of that. Yeah. It's so necessary. I, well, and I think too, if, if you deal with it pretty well in the moment, Mm -hmm. you think, well, okay, I'm okay. Mm. I did. I'm still, I'm still dealing well. So I can't be falling apart, right? I'm, I'm dealing with it. Okay. Is that I realizing it's not so much about your capacity to deal with it. Although now I am struggling a lot to deal with it. Um, I am, I'm in a totally different place in terms of my tolerance for it. And um, I'll be honest, I'm at this place where um, my husband will call me and he'll, he'll be busy at work and he'll drop a text if I'm not home and he'll say, Oh, by the way, something's up. We got to talk. Mm. And my heart starts racing. I start shaking mm-hmm. and I start to, I can't do another thing right now. I can't deal. I just can't deal with another yep, yep. problem. Yep. That's relatively new in the last two or three months. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to talk about it because I, I, I should have gotten, I should have gotten some help mm-hmm. and more breaks way, way earlier on it, because it was really, really hard the first 10 years. Yeah. Uh, it's still hard. Who am I fooling? It is. Uh, it's a different kind of hard. It, it's a kind of yep. It feels yep. actually more life-threatening now. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're younger, you feel like it's molding and shaping. Mm-hmm. And if you miss those key moments, sometimes are the key conversation that can have ramifications long-term, but it's not as present as right now. My child can make a really poor decision and their whole life changes forever. If I'm not truly totally present and attentive mm-hmm. and that's scary stuff. It's like a different type of scary mm-hmm. ones. I'll blow it and I can't go backwards and fix it. And right. once this moment, I can't fix it. And if I can't help and I have no control because they're over 18, mm-hmm. oh boy, right. now I'm really scared. And it's a different type of fear, I think, that creeps up. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. the mom guilt thing is, you know, and it's real because we are making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think those of us that are honest about it, we know we're making mistakes too because we can't possibly get it right all the time. No. Um, we'd love to. And luckily, I think we get it right most of the time you know, for decent caring parents, but you know, there are things, there's information that's going to come to light later. Right. And you go, Oh, if I'd only known, I would have handled all of that so differently. You know? Unfortunately, when I do the show every Tuesday night, I learn something I didn't know. And <laughs> I just have to give it up. Bad, yeah, yeah. So rewind, unfortunately. But you know, you can, you can help other parents figure things out. Yeah. Early. Exactly. And that share that the hope comes from it's, yeah. it's, you know, God allowed this to happen. I have to, like, just tell myself that over and over again. This was allowed to happen. You did not know. You were not prepared. And God knew that. And that's okay. Yeah. And and you know what? Most of the time, we tend to magnify the extent of the damage done by our mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we so want to do it right. Yes. And we want to do it right. And we don't want to fail these kids. And in our case, with adoption, someone else has already failed them. Multiple someones have failed them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one that fails them. And sort of the buck stops here. If you're a parent that's, you know, pretty intense about the parenting piece. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't. You know, your children can't always articulate what's wrong with them or why they don't get certain things or, you know, what their disability is. They just know it doesn't work, right? 
Right. And, and, and even professionals all the time miss stuff that our kids are dealing with all the time. I mean, like laying our hope in professionals is not the right place to be laying your hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lay my hope, of course, in God first, but God works through all these other moms. Yeah. Over and over again, most of the diagnoses my kids have, I researched and found it often. My idea of research was throwing out on Facebook. My kid's doing this weird thing. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> seen this before? Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I just got a clue what this could be. Other parents have come to me. Um, God has come to me in the shape of the parents mm. and helped me learn and grow and guess right. Because often it's guessing and sometimes I've guessed wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I remember being told more times, by doctors, first thing off the bat, well, you ought to try, have tried ADD meds for your son. And it was like, mm. no, because he's not, that's not the problem here. That's not, right. we're not, and he wasn't hyperactive. Mm. So finally I decided, let's, I, I told myself, Kenny, can I just try to shut them up? Because they're using that as an excuse to not look elsewhere for other things. Yeah. Sure, mom, I don't care. I said, it's not going to hurt you to try it. Mm. Let's try mm. it. Yeah. Well, well then, then we can move on in conversation saying we've done this. Right. Uh-oh. Dumb. Just dumb. Five days in, I had a totally different child. He was able to attend in ways that he never had been. And mm-hmm. my kid can't remember a darn thing, can't remember his own phone number, his birthday, remembers his medication every single day because it makes that much of a difference for him. Wow. Major mom fail. Mm-hmm. Major. Luckily, it was it was about four years from the time we got him. Mm-hmm. Um, we described Kenny as coming to us feral. <laughs> Because it was all over the map. And so some of that, I, there you go. I'm offering myself grace because how could I have known? You know, a child that comes from a highly structured environment mm-hmm. with no control, put in a family where, you know, normal parenting practices are, there's a fair amount of control given to a child mm-hmm. to structure their day, their play, you know, whatever they want to do. Right. And he didn't know what to do with that. So we didn't mm-hmm. attribute it all to that. And he isn't really hyperactive but his mind has flights of fancy all over the place and mm-hmm. he was too young to be able to describe that to me and later he was able to describe that's what it stops and then i can pay attention it's not that i'm sitting here bouncing in my seat and i can't sit still right and um so you know there you go missed that one big time and yeah. you know smarty pants mom got proven wrong <laughs> yeah yeah or you know the you know one thing that i beat myself up a lot my oldest was diagnosed when he was five my second was not because while well, we were homeschooling and, you know, this oldest one has all these behavioral issues and other things. And so I'm so focused on him and just kind of skirting the next two by. Yes. Not to realize that my second child has dyslexia and um, is on the spectrum and, you know, just in a different way. Yeah. And now is, as a young adult is dealing with severe back issues that so he just had an MRI today again. Um, and... So, you know, those things that I go, why didn't I, why didn't I see this? And yet you get so focused on one thing that you, you kind of miss stuff and you have to be okay with, I just missed it. Uh, you, you do. And, and realize you've probably had a bunch of professionals involved at some point too, who also missed it. Yeah, and exactly. they're the ones who are supposed to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, as mom, we're supposed to know everything. How, how do we not feel that way? We just, right. that's the way we're built, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and the sleepless nights mm-hmm. and the tears by the buckets because I just can't do this and I can't fix it. And I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's wrong. Right. Give me some insight, God, please, because I'm, I'm out of ideas. I've tried everything I can think of. Yeah. And sometimes it's not fixable. 
And then there's a whole grieving process that comes with that, Peggy. Yeah. You know, when you, we have, we have, we've prematurely grieved some things we thought would happen. It didn't, thankfully. Mm. Um, And then, you know, there's grief that's real when you have a child that may not be able to live independently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't adopt or give birth to a child and imagine them living with you forever, unable to drive, unable to hold a traditional job. Mm-hmm. That's not the dream. No one asks for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know, millions end up with children There's like that. Lot. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands. I mean, at any given time, of course, millions over the ages mm-hmm. have children who will never hit quote unquote launch the way everybody else does. Right. How do you not view that as a failure? Mm. How does your child not view that as a failure? How do you how do you help someone move into adulthood when they can't do any of the things that mark that passing mm. um, of, of movement from childhood into adulthood? You know, yeah. um, that's a grieving process that mm-hmm. the parent goes through and often goes through at the same time that the child is going through it because maybe they just got a diagnosis and now they go, oh, this is forever. It's not going to get better. Yeah. Oh no, mm-hmm. we sort of the parent sometimes suspects. I don't think too often we're, we're completely caught off guard. I mean, yeah. you'd probably be a pretty inattentive parent to not have a suspicion. But, but you have that hope out there. And of course. Hope and that's the hope goes away, what, right? Right. Yes. And that's where the grief comes in. Well, and the grief comes in, but you know, then what happens is you go through that grieving process. And interestingly, and I do think God helps us with this, mm-hmm. but we can have new hope embedded in us yeah. once, but, but, but it doesn't happen unless you accept what's real and true. Mm-hmm. real and true keeps you holding on to to hope that at one time felt practical and real and new information tells you it was impractical and not going to be realistic mm-hmm. yes the mo- longer you want to hang on to that the longer your grieving process is going to be and the more pain you're going to be in yeah. um attaching ourselves to ideas of what we want the world to look like and our children mm-hmm. to turn out like i mean that happens whether you have a kid with special needs or not right you know lots of people have a child go, that's going to be my doctor you know, foolish, but you know, we do, yes. we do, like, you yeah. know, yeah. Are we yeah. Yeah. Ball, yeah. Hey, maybe they're going to be a pro baseball player, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, some parents go there and they go there too far. Um, mm-hmm. oh, most yeah. of us don't, but you know, I mean, so those dreams can be dashed too when they turn out to be average. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> average kids can disappoint too. And that's the parent's fault. That's not, you know, that's not the right. Yeah. Most of us really do have exactly. average kids, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> we have just in some area, but you know, across the board, we don't all have exceptional children. We all just uh-huh. like, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, we can grieve the loss whether we have a child with special needs or not, but, mm-hmm. but with, with a child with special needs, it's, it's critically important that we move through that process at the pace we need to, because, you know, you can't really rush that. You're faking it if you are, but mm-hmm. that you get out the other side and then you start thinking, okay, so this is what we have. What new dreams are actually possible? Yeah. They may not be probable even. They may even still be a stretch. Mm-hmm. What new dreams can our yes. children live into? For example, my son, um, who wants to be a pastor in the worst way, and mm-hmm. it for a long time would not accept that he couldn't. He could. He didn't have the executive functioning skills to mm-hmm. to run something like that. There's no way. Right. But then he gets okay. This is real. But then together we began to collaborate. Research. So what can happen? He is going to seminary online right now. He's already passed four classes. Um, very high college level classes. He can't do more than one at a time. He can't handle that. But he's doing really exceptionally well one at a time. And he says, "I know I can never run a church, but I can preach." Maybe I can be invited and get pulpit supplies someplace. Maybe I can 
I can have ministry with other people like me. And hence, then he went on to write the book that he's just mm-hmm. about finished with. And I can minister. I can help other people. I, you know, mm-hmm. I got to get over it. And what, what's interesting is we had tons of conversation around ego mm-hmm. and letting go. And he, mm-hmm. at, now at 22, he's quite emotionally mature in that sense and recognizes, oh, that's my ego talking. That doesn't need to be part of this. That's not what God wants. God wants me to help people wherever I am with whatever I have. Mm-hmm. Ego is about me standing up in front of a church and saying I'm a pastor and I run it. That's not actually what God calls any of us to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People feel exactly. calling that way, but God calls all of us to minister. And mm-hmm. you know, so altering the dream, yeah. finding threads of the dreams that can be had that. realistically and lived mm-hmm. into. Yeah. You know, somebody may not ever be able to be a veterinarian, but they might be able to handle being a vet tech or own a dog walking and grooming business or, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's taking it and then finding, mm-hmm. finding where you can grab onto the hope mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. has the spark of what the original dream was. Exactly. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. It's a hard process. And honestly, the kids aren't going to be able to do that. The parents need to help them do that. Yeah. You um, have to guide them. Mm-hmm. You do. And not because yes. you have a disability, but because the truth is, all of our kids with, with challenges and special needs or not, they don't know the vast array of things that are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they yes. know the big titles. I could be a doctor, a nurse, a fireman, you know, mm-hmm. they know some of those things, but right. they don't get that in addition to the postman is the back end sorter. And then there's the manager, then there's counter helper. And then there's, you know, the guys that work at delivery with the shipping. Yeah. We know all yeah. that. Stuff. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. We probably understand the threads that exist where our kids don't mm-hmm. and can help them pull those out and, and do something with that. And, um, you know, we ended up setting our kids up in a business called Buckaroo Slices and Scoops. Yeah. Um, it makes, a, it, it's a pizza and ice cream business that was very carefully selected and mm-hmm. brainstormed with all of us. But I, I was the one who came up with the idea mm-hmm. because I knew um, that with memory issues, ingredients hidden would be difficult to work with. And mm-hmm. if they're in a fridge, they're hidden. They're not yes. visual. Exactly. But a pizza and ice cream, it's all in front of you. Yes. And you don't have to remember where did that go? Mm-hmm. No, it's right here. Now, yeah. and then you, we had to set it up with lots of, uh, of visual supports and mm-hmm. um, training, 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 you know, repetition, yeah. Yeah. big mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then also recognizing, well, initially one daughter couldn't make change. The one who struggles with dyscalculia. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, you know, a year and a half later, she's making change. Enough practice, oh, repetition, yes. she can do it. But at first, somebody else would awesome. make the change and she mm-hmm. could run the, run the register and call someone to make the change. It's adapting, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's adapting mm-hmm. the environment. Um, parents can do this in all kinds of ways to help their mm-hmm. kids adapt to whatever doesn't work. Some dreams will need to be let go of. Yeah. There's no doubt. And some of those dreams are really painful and really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other times, it's it just it can be morphed into something similar, but not quite. Right. That can still mm-hmm. fit the bill and still mm-hmm. help feel competent and have meaningful work in the world. And everybody needs that. Yeah. Everybody needs meaning in their life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and parents have to work hard, not at finding a job, mm-hmm. finding meaning. Find that. Because you can find a job. Yes. You can find a yes. job. Usually you can find, you can find, mm-hmm. you know, warehouses, you can find, um, you know, local entities that will help your kid, you know, with mm-hmm. you know, overseeing work and, you know, workshops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But is that meaningful? Right. And if it's not, right. yeah. how do you find it? 
Yeah. That's the key. That match for them. Because, I mean, when you were talking earlier, Cindy, you know, just talking about talking to your kids and, you know, yes. re reevaluating those dreams and, and all the different options within there, they like they don't that they don't know. But um, but allowing them to to say this is something I was built for. This is what I'm yes. at. Yes. And this is a good pursuit of using my gifts in this area. Well, and I think it's important to note, too, that too often um, parents of any kid, but in particular for special needs kids, we talk about jobs and careers mm-hmm. instead of tasks and what you like to do every day. What brings you joy? What mm-hmm. doesn't bore you to tears? Yeah. What do you hate doing? Mm-hmm. And then look at that and find a career that fits those things. Instead, we tend to, we tend to go out of backwards, I think. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like the, you know, the chase for college. We tend to look at, yes. uh, you know, what college do you want to go to? What college mm-hmm. do you want to go to? And that becomes the focus of high school instead of what kind of meaningful work would you like to eventually do? Right. Exactly. Let's not worry about what school and what brand name you could throw on there first. Let's mm-hmm. talk about like, who are you? Who did God make you to be? Mm-hmm. And then let's work with that. Right. And work backwards from there. And mm-hmm. the same thing can happen with our SPED kids if we yeah. if we process it in the right way. And they can't do that work themselves. They really do need mm-hmm. to be walked through it. Need it. Yeah. But it can be done. Yeah. You know, I mean, somebody, some kid who, who likes to visit with people would make a great checker at a grocery mm-hmm. store or a greeter. You know, I don't know that Walmart has greeters anymore, but you know <laughs> They do fix us, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, so a hostess at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's the kind exactly. of, you know, there, there's all kinds of ways you can find things that, mm-hmm. you know, that are pieces and parts of who they are that can lead them to fulfilling and, and enjoyable employment. Mm-hmm. But we have to, we have to give up the idea of what it should have been in order to get to where it, it can be yeah. because there is still yeah. hope for things. Mm-hmm. And there's hope yeah. for us as parents. You know, you do eventually get to the point where you're not parenting mm. as firmly and as and as interconnectedly because yes. they do grow up. They do. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I don't want to dismiss the fact that there are some special needs kids that are so high special needs that parents are forever caretakers mm-hmm. in an exhausting way. And the need for respite is 10 times more than it is for, for some of us whose kids are able to do some things. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of not talking, speaking to that because I can't, I don't have a child like that. I have three uh-huh. siblings that were there. Um, they yeah. all passed away now. But yes, the the amount of work it required on my parents was tremendous. Yes, tremendous. And, and that's a that's a totally different kind of, you know, circumstance to think about. And then it's a matter of how do you as a parent still find meaning right. when you're doing this kind of grueling physical caretaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we act like that's easy. And it's not because often we have kids we can't really live with other people. Mm-hmm. who don't understand. Um, we really struggled when our kids were younger. That's why we didn't. We never went on vacation. Went yeah. I rarely went away until they were really quite a bit older. Um, mm-hmm. They wouldn't understand, but my son was like living with an Alzheimer's patient. My daughter's a little bit, but not nearly as much with the memory things. Um, mm-hmm. Theirs was more disconnected thoughts, not making sense, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not able to um, logic things out. Mm-hmm. But our son would go off and leave the burger on on the stove all oh, yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. He would try to put things in the microwave because that was a little safer to cook with, except for he forgot that you can't put metal in all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Explaining that when you've got a 12-year-old in front of you and people look at you like you're some kind of a lunatic parent who is way over coddling your kid. And yet the reality of burning the house down was yeah. very real. Very, yes, exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I get he just sat down and talked to you about the presidential election. I get that. That still doesn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> <the kitchen. laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> I even understood how confusing it was, but because it was so confusing, there were very few people who could who could give appropriate respite. And then we lived in a community in which it was just really hard and there weren't that many service providers and we would have been low on the list versus some of those families who had a much stronger need. And I understood that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough. And as adult parents of kids who still struggle, mm-hmm. um, you may often, like we do, everybody is at home still. That's not a lack of desire on our part for them to be independent. Mm-hmm. Um, FASD kind of falls through the cracks, as you yes. probably know. Mm-hmm. You can't get services easily. Mm-hmm. Often high-functioning autism, you can't. And you may end up living with them in your attic for the rest of your life. I mean, mm-hmm. these, these are things that people think casually because they see, often they'll see some of these entities that are out there with groups of people with bands going to Walmart and doing mm-hmm. things and stuff like that. And they don't realize that an awful lot of people don't qualify for services. Right. And then their parents are really stuck. And so is I want to say adult, adult child, even, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. where do you go when there's no place to go? Yeah. What do you yeah. do when there's no place, nothing you can do and they're not really hireable mm-hmm. unless you find an incredibly compassionate employer who makes space and time and many can't because they're trying to earn a living. I mean, you know, that's understandable. Right. Yeah. Um, understanding that families like ours, may necessarily have children home far longer so that they are not the statistic and we aren't 10 years away from death. Yeah. And that, that's the perspective that you just have to take instead of um, the, the we, gotta, we just have to push this, we have to get ready to the launch. But yes. We, their protection is more important than what they look like on the outside to everybody else. Yes. And, and you know, and I think that um, I lost my own brother to addiction, I apologize, um, to addiction myself. Um, he was, my youngest son was two years, just barely two years older, not quite when and he had had a lifelong addiction. He was a year younger than me from 14 on. He was a crack addict, um, severe. We lived an hour North of LA, readily accessible drugs anywhere you wanted. And it makes the reality probably for you as well. So real for our own children. Mm-hmm. We don't play around with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. other people, you know, one of the things that we parents experience all the time is judgment from other people mm. all the time for how we're parenting and what the choices we make. And um, we had constant derision because our children weren't dating at the same time everybody else was. Mm-hmm. They, weren't even, they didn't have the ability to drive until they were 21. They couldn't mm-hmm. pull it together to do it. Then all of a sudden, yeah. uh, you know, our daughters were able to pull it together and do it. It worked. That's awesome. Our son with a slow processing speed. Now, this one makes no sense. And I totally get why people are confused. Mm-hmm. Your slow processing speed made it made it impossible to drive much earlier because mm-hmm. he just had to get enough enough things in place where it was falling into routine and then he could process the other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had a pilot before then. Yeah. Go figure. But, you well, know, it, it has to do with distractions because this is why, that's what my middle child was. The first time he took a test, the test ran out of the car. <laughs> I just had to laugh. I was like, okay, so you didn't pass. <laughs> just need to ask on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just it's driving is a really complex task. It's very. We take it for granted because we've been doing it forever and we don't think right. about it. But when you, when you start to teach your kids, disabled or not, you start realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much to think there about. Oh, the car. And a lot of, 
a lot of, you know, hand-eye coordination that has to come mm-hmm. to play and a lot of fast mm-hmm. processing with a, a lot going on. Oh, and if you have kids with slow processing speed, that doesn't come together quickly. It, it just doesn't. And yet we were criticized for that. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, you want to get in the car with them? Go for it. Feel free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, that's where your faith comes in. Yeah. And your understanding that... Uh, that it's okay if other people don't understand. Yeah. I say that so casually, and yet it is so painful. It, it's really hard to be judged to be a bad parent mm-hmm. when the truth is you're doing the very best for your child, and other people don't understand yeah. what's going on and why it's so hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, many people have assumed that our son should be in a college classroom. I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. But he can't find his way across campus, and he can't find a way to get food for himself, and he will forget to eat because he literally forgets that he hasn't eaten. That's a real problem for him. He can't shower by himself and remember to shampoo his hair. He's 22. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, he didn't shampoo his hair, and he got out of the shower, and I said, hey, I can tell later in the day. Looks like he didn't shampoo. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot. You know, you, yeah. you don't get those kind of services at college for your no. kid to have somebody no. stand <laughs> do shampoo with your hair. Right. You know. <laughs> I, I get academically, he could probably do it, but you know, there's a whole lot more to going to, going to college than academics. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I haven't come up with a good way to let it roll off my back. Yeah. Every comment bothers me. Mm-hmm. I try to tell myself, don't let that bother you, but you know, I still have to actually say those words. Yeah. They don't understand. They can't. And um, I know that in the eyes of many people, I will be forever branded to the overprotective bad parent. Mm-hmm. That's okay. My kids, you know, as you and I were talking even beforehand, um, yeah. my kids are still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Honest. Exactly. honest. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, we have avoided every possible thing. And you know what? That whole brain development with FASD happening at about 28 to 30. Yeah. I keep thinking, God, if we can keep them alive until then, if we can keep them out of mm-hmm. trouble until then, mm-hmm. maybe I can breathe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. That's still, you know, the problem is with kids like this, you're never really out of the woods. You aren't. No, no one understands when I say, yeah, but I'm still concerned. I'm still worried. We're still, we're still, we, we know anything could happen. And they think, but everything looks great and they're older now and everything's fine. That changes on a dime. And we have seen in, the, you know, even in this last year, how quickly things can change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you, and that's at 22. You're, you're not, you're never kind of out of the woods with kids like these. And that's hard because you live in a hypervigilant state yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm all the time you know i'm sure you probably experienced it too peggy yeah mm-hmm. and and yeah. that's not healthy for us it's not i mean i had cancer last year and a lot yeah. of it had to do with everything i internalized and didn't let go of and my husband even made the comment yesterday he said you handle things so much better but it took cancer to make me do that and yeah. that's not sh- the way it should be that's not the way you when i have a <laughs> place got got my attention i'll tell you that much <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's um, but, it's the stress of being a special needs parent, especially to kids who are are going to struggle permanently. You know, it's one thing to have like learning disabilities and then find your way. A lot of kids with learning challenges will go to go on to college, go into decent careers, just avoid the area of deficit, right? Right. And we're talking more global than that. Right. Um and then you have to be beyond mom of a kid who's older, you have to still sort of you have to be the reminder of the shampoo, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be the reminder of the de- deodorant and brush your teeth, and and they go out looking great. And mm-hmm. you did your job for the day. And that's a yeah. lot to carry for a lot of years. Yes. And then to know that maybe perpetually, you know, we have days that are 
worse than others. Ours isn't every day, mm-hmm. um, but it's enough that I'm always looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and, 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 you know, it doesn't show up every day, it, right. but it does show up. And then you go, okay, hey, did you brush your teeth? Go back. You know, it's, it's hard. And and I know I'm speaking my own things versus what some parents are dealing with. Yeah. 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 And taking care of ourselves is, is so, so important because we have to be there for the long haul. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. Our whole life. Yeah. Life for some of us. Yeah. And I'm just sort of, you know, I, I think I have foolishly not understood that in my heart to the degree that I understood it intellectually. I think it's hitting me in my heart now. And then there's this accumulative effect. The accumulation of all of this has been um, mind-boggling when I look back. Mm-hmm. And, and because I could deal with it well, then I'm fine. Because I managed in the moment to do what the kid needed me to do. And I was present and offered, you know, hope and help and all that. And yet then later I'm tanked. <laughs> yeah. And we all hit that point some, some yeah. point or another. And, you know, putting things into place, and, you know, more respite therapy when needed, if you need it. Because sometimes mm-hmm. we need to talk through all of that we've taken in and internalized. Yeah. You know, some of us have taken stories from our kids that are so painful and powerful. Yeah. And then we sit with them for a very long time. You know, we adopted parents, not always. Sometimes what's happened in our own families that our children were born into mm-hmm. that is our family is awful too. Right. You know, sometimes we are in control of death of a parent and all the subsequent challenges that come with that or, you know, all kinds of things that happen or, you know, an addiction problem that comes from a parent or a sibling even, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. then the guilt comes in for the siblings that are dealing with, you know, there you go, that whole, oh, yeah. Yeah. that guilt soup, right? Exactly. Oh, this has been such a good conversation, Cindy. We have already over an hour. I can't. <laughs> so I would love to keep talking the rest of the evening, but this has just been so inspiring. I would really like for you to tell our audience where they can find you um, on bluecollarhomeschool.com. Yeah, we have um, we have a website, bluecollarhomeschool.com. Um, it's for, it, we also have a, a partner Facebook group under the same name. You can find us on Facebook. Um, that includes another group listed that is a book group. That is from us as well, Blue Collar Homeschool Book Group. Um, you can find me there. You can email me at cyndilj at aol.com. And um, our, our, our group and the, the website are for parents um, and kids who are homeschooling who are not going to be headed to college, but are going to be headed straight to career, trade, military, mm-hmm. maybe never launching. Because, you know, I'm there too, lots of us. Mm-hmm. We have many families in there, a high, a high degree of folks with special needs kids in our group for obvious reasons, right? It's yeah. a fit. So um, you can find me there. You can also find me um, as a special educator for English and History at Junior North Homeschool Academy. Yeah, and they're one of our and, partners. So like, yeah, and I do uh, academic advising for special needs learners too. So um, if anybody needs some help with that, you can find me there. But if you just need to talk, just reach out anytime. I'd be happy to, to walk with you on the that's great. Yep. And then also, I just want to remind everybody, the book we talked about earlier that uh, Cindy and Natalie Vashoni um, just released is Blazing New Homeschool Trails. And you can find that on Amazon. So here's what it looks like. So you yep. can see the cover. There you go. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much, Cindy. This has been a hard conversation, but one that's been necessary. And I just want to thank you for sharing your heart with us and um, just opening up the reality of launching developmentally delayed teens and just that it is a road 
It um, is. And that it's not a destination. Um, yeah, thank you, Peggy. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. And thank you to your audience. Yeah, definitely. And um, so we have this broadcast at a special time. Um, we're kind of talking this whole month on launching well. Um, next week, I will not be here. And that's why we did a Friday versus Tuesday nights. Um, so next Tuesday, there will not be a broadcast. But I have to encourage you, the reason I'm going to be gone, we're talking about respite. Well, guess what? Set of Homeschool starting next year is going to be launching our very first family camp. Um, so we are partnering with Mache, the Minnesota Association of Christian Home Educators, and Johnny and Friends, that ministry that's based out of California. And we will be having our very first family camp. And hopefully after that, we'll be launching those into states around the country. Um, so I'm super excited that Johnny and Friends is flying me out to Minnesota next week to observe one of their camps just for this purpose. So that's where I will be. So I'm just so excited. This is something I have so wanted for our community. I can't wait to see it realized. So, um, so Perfect. that's, that's coming up soon. And, uh, so just wanting, um, I got one comment here. Um, just said, thank you so much. Um, you are welcome, Ella. You're welcome. Thank you for watching. Um, and just to let you know that this episode was brought to you and made possible by viewers like you. We are a nonprofit at Sped Homeschool. So if you want to learn about becoming a donor partner, you can visit our website at spedhomeschool.com and right on the front page, there's a donate button. So, um, if you are looking for a webinar training, especially in high school, um, you can go to empoweredhomeschool.org. That is one of our sister websites. It is where our webinars that some of our team members have. Um, we also just launched a homeschooling or struggling learn through high school masterclass. It has 20 units. And um, that was a, a, a work that we did with True North Homeschool Academy um, and also HSLDA and Seven Sisters Homeschool and some of our other partners. And it was a two year in the making. It's an incredible course. And so I encourage you to check that out. Um, and our blogs are coming out a couple times a week now, new ones. Um, and we're talking about this same topic about um, launching your kids. Well, I know Natalie has a blog coming out next week, the co-writer for um, Cindy's book um, that'll be coming out next Wednesday. So she's talking about apprenticeships. So um, so you can definitely check that out. But we were just rated the number one special needs homeschooling blog out there by Feedspot. And um, so, and you can catch previous ver or episodes of Empowering Homeschool Conversations on our YouTube channel. Also on our podcast, if you go to any podcast platform and look up Empowering Homeschool Conversations, you will find us there. So um, I think that's about all I had to share. Um, oh, and I do want to encourage you. I don't often share this, but um, since this has been a time that Cindy and I have shared um, some of our stories, um, I do my own Bible study um, on my own podcast. It's not related to SPED Homeschool, but it's called Daily Revelations, and I'm a preset Bible study leader, and so I walk through the Bible. We've been going doing Genesis all year, and so like I said, I was doing Genesis 32 this last week, um, but if you want a different type of Bible study, I just encourage you and get you working into God's Word and listening to His voice and His daily revelation to your life, so I just want to encourage you that way as well, just to join me in that. So, so thanks again, Cindy. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me, Peggy. Out of your afternoon. And um, yeah, I hope everybody has an awesome weekend. So um, thanks again, everybody for joining us. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on Empowering School Conversations.
The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.